0: St. Anne's Orthodox Church presents Wisdom, recordings of
1: classes on the classic texts of the Orthodox Christian faith by Father Daniel Greeson, priest at St. Anne's Orthodox Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Here is Father Daniel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. O Christ our God, bless this time that we have to study the words of your servant, uh, Ignatius, the Bishop of Antioch who met his end in the teeth of lions, may we learn how to grow closer to you and to your Father and the Holy Spirit through the writings of your servant Ignatius, and witness to all the world the glory that you have prepared for us before the foundations of the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this week we are going to be looking at Uh, The Epistle of Ignatius to the Romans, which is another, a little bit of a shorter um, letter than some of the first ones that we read, Um, but there's also, like with all the letters, has its own particular uh, threads of themes that Ignatius has, uh, and particular ways of talking about it um, that I think it's worth us going over. Are there any I like to open up at the beginning just for folks to ask any questions or observations about this text in relationship to the other texts or early
0: Christianity or anything like that. Here's, here's one question. Uh, are, are, these, are these letters roughly chronological?
1: Uh, I think the idea the, way, the, the reason why they're put in the order that they are is because, for example, if you're reading this, uh, you notice, I believe it's the end of the letter, <coughs> he's writing to the Romans, but he's writing from Smyrna, okay. which we've already read the one to the Smyrna's, right? Letter to Smyrna. I'm not remembering off the top of my head. But
0: to the Ephesians. To the Ephesians, sorry, the sorry. yes.
1: So chapter 10, at the very end, says, now I write these things to you from Smyrna by the Ephesians who are deservedly most happy.
0: The reason I ask is, is in this one, because
1: I think the letters follow his, his uh, trek, if I remember correctly, through Asia Minor. As he goes ahead or leaves behind, he writes to them. And a lot of times it's because he writes to the congregation because the bishop or the represent- representative face of the church and the, the ordained clergy come <coughs> and meet him somewhere that's not like on the road as he's traveling along.
0: Okay. Because he um, he talks a lot in here about his own end, about his own death, uh, is at which he he uh, he really says forth this in a, in a sacrifice. He's like he, I'm, I'm being a sacrifice. Yes. And why do you think
1: he's writing that to the Romans? Where was he killed? He was killed in. Rome, right. Colosseum. the Colosseum,
0: by the wild beast. So that's
1: part of the reason for the letter is actually him saying. There's throughout the theme throughout yeah. this is, please, yes, it's natural and fleshly for you to want to save me, but please don't save me.
0: <laughs> Let, here, here's one thing that did uh, that did bother me a little bit about this, okay, and, and uh, I, I didn't know quite what to do with it. Uh, he, uh, okay, so so this is in chapter four. Uh, I'm the wheat of God, and I'm ground by the teeth of wild bees, so that I may be, be found the pure bread of Christ. Okay, so far so good. And, and earlier, he, he's, he's talking about being like poured out on the altar, but yes, almost yes. like the like the like the drink offering of the Old yep. Testament. But then he says, um, um, instead, entice the wild bees, so that they may become my tomb and leave no trace of my body, so that when I fall asleep, I may not burden anyone. And, and it you know it, it, one thing keep, keep reading because I think the next, the next sentence is important okay I'll keep going then I shall be, a, be truly a disciple of Jesus Christ when the world will not see my body at all pray to Christ for me that through these means I may be found a sacrifice to God okay so so I think the key to this whole
1: the sentiment that he has here about uh, leaving nothing of his body is the second uh, when the world shall not uh, shall not see so much as my body okay
0: all right I, yeah i 've got you on that. i mean i just you know like like in in, uh, in in the in the roman world they they would cremate bodies mm-hmm. the christians though didn 't didn 't do that they 'd bury the bodies because they looked for the resurrection of the body right and they would and they would venerate the remains of bodies like like mm-hmm. You know coffins or reliquaries, mm-hmm. and and that that threw me that threw me a little. I mean, I understand what you're saying about Albert. Well, the, my body being gone, absent. Well, likewise the body of Jesus. You, you can't go to the go and venerate the remains of Jesus because he's risen and alive. And but that,
1: so I think it's it's so. Let's go back to chapter three, and I think in the context we can answer the question that you have as to why he seems intent on having his body disappear. Um, Would anyone like to read chapter 3? Preferably not from uh, Zach's special translation, but maybe we can look at the special one for interesting points. Zach, do you want to read chapter 3?
2: Sure. Uh, Where it was never your way to grudge anyone's success? Uh, You can start,
1: start maybe in the middle for if I be truly found a Christian. No, actually, start at the very beginning. You have never in- envied anyone. You have taught others. It might just be a different translation. It's just chapter 3 of Romans.
2: Okay. It's never your way to grudge anyone his success. You have been a source of instruction to others. All I want is for the principles which you expound by your teaching to hold good now. The only petition I would have you put forward on my behalf is that I may be given sufficient inward and outward strength to be as resolute in, all, in will as in words and a Christian in reality instead of one in repute. Though one, I have the, once I have the reality, I can have the repute too. And he held loyal and true even when the world can see me no longer. For good does not reside in what our eyes can see. The fact that Jesus Christ is now within the Father is why we perceive him so much the more clearly. For the work we have to do is no affair of persuasive speaking. Christianity lies in achieving greatness in the face of a world's hatred. That's even
1: a very interesting uh, translation compared to mine. Uh, I'm going to start with, um, for if I, about the middle of the chapter, for if I be truly found a Christian, I may also be called one and be then deemed faithful when I shall no longer appear to the world. Nothing visible is eternal. Yours has a
2: very different phrase for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for good does not reside in what our eyes can see. The fact that Jesus Christ is no other the Father is why we perceive Him so much the more clearly. So the God my translation,
1: not. right. My translation for the things which we have seen see are temporal, but the things which are not seen are mm-hmm. eternal. For our God Jesus Christ, now that He's with the Father, is all the more revealed in His glory. Christianity mm-hmm. is not a thing of silence only, but also of manifest greatness.
0: Mine is Christianity's a matter not of persuasiveness. But of greatness when it is aided by the world. Fascinating. Yeah. Different translations, uh, but I think the,
1: the base line there gives us the context for. So why why does he, uh, kind of desirous of his body being devoured by lions? So he's already made the, the ground right. What is visible is not eternal. What is visible is something that's the same of like uh we were talking about this from actually from the first epistle, right? This difference between something that exists and the gap between existing and then talking. I actually kind of hit it on it at the end of the sermon today. The difference between talking about something versus actually doing it. Right. And so he has this whole thing that runs through all of the which is this flesh and spirit, and that you can have and it's very Pauline, right? This fleshly you can have i mean this is like first corinthian the uh, first chapter of first corinthians uh, the way that your translation has it there at the end of uh, chapter three that christianity is not a thing about eloquence right does that sound like paul it's not a thing about fleshly showing off but he wants to show there's a greatness in like the martyrdom of the death the kind of I don't want to say insignificant, in, in the eyes of the world, it's pretty insignificant, right? It doesn't really mean that doesn't have the meaning that he attaches. They're just going to see a blood sport, right? What they paid to be able to see in the arena. What he sees is a, a sacrifice to God, uh, a faithfulness to God, even though he's being uh, murdered, basically. Yeah, Michael.
3: Uh, I mean, like you may not know this, the answer to this at all, but. Um, Given that there were, like, three quite different translations of the same passage, uh, was the Greek in which St. Ignatius wrote, like, harder to understand? Because I know some books in the New Testament are simpler Greek and others are Uh,
1: I don't know about that. I do know that there's different strands of textual witnesses, (coughs) manuscript witnesses. So what might be is just a little bit of manuscript difference. Or it might be... um, What happens a lot with translations is somebody makes the same decisions as an older translator, and then there's another older translator who made different decisions, and so I think their translations make sense in the context. My guess is that this is literal. Because <laughs> uh, I have like a Victorian, what I, what I grabbed was the Victorian uh, uh, translation. Not that always the Victorian translators are literal because they also like to edit things out and omit things when it gets a little too serious for them. Or not serious but like risque they like to cut things out of things
2: it also echoes back where Jesus says that it's better for you that I go away yeah yeah and exactly instead of is. being a present and localized human person that he can send the comforter if he goes away the comforter so now he's
1: accessible to everyone
2: and it seems like St. Ignatius here is saying that he can do better work if he goes and follows Christ into the, to be in the Father. Do
1: y'all think that's an acceptable interpretation? I think it makes sense of the words even when the epistle arrives. Yeah, I think so too. It's, it's a parallel. It's well, it's, I think it's also a helpful hermeneutical reminder uh, when reading things like the Father's where we have, um, uh, and I, I don't want to pick on you, Frank, but just the where you when you read something like, wait a second, that goes against my impulse that they would have like affirmed the body because of resurre- like resurrection, and therefore they wouldn't bury it, and so this seems to run against on the surface level like against that idea. But the context, the context of it is a broader kind of theological point where he he's uh, spinning things together such that I don't think he would ever denigrate the idea of generation uh, of relics and things like that it's just his rhetorical point of what he's getting at is something that's outside of that that concern. And I'm sure there's things you could probably even, that I said this morning that if you took it, freeze-framed it, and then said wait, how does that line up with X, Y, and Z? You might be like, well there's times where I might push a particular thing rhetorically uh, to make a point but that doesn't mean that because I'm not talking about other things that I'm rejecting it or that it's not there and I think that's a lot of people um, when they go to somebody like Ignatius or they go to the fathers they can kind of look for it like um, I hate to pick on certain Catholic apologetic books With <laughs> a certain I encountered this in Catholic apologetic books where you're like you want to know what the father said and then what they'll do is like Your fathers on Eucharist and they'll have like Ignatius and they'll have a line of Ignatius and i was like Like, yeah, I think he does believe in the real presence. Or I I wouldn't even say transubstantiation because that's such a later way of talking about it. But, like, it's really hard to – it's like cherry-picking Scripture. We don't like when you just cherry-pick Scripture, right, and say, like, well, this means this. Well, you can do that with the fathers. And I suggest when anyone says, the fathers say such and such, or the canons – well, don't even worry about the canons. But a lot of people say things like, the canons say, or the tradition says this – you might want to say, "Which father says that? Which canon says that?" Because there's just a lot of people run around saying those things, and they don't actually understand the interpretation of those things, or they're misquoted, or you know, especially now, if you get onto Facebook in an Orthodox world, you get a lot of memes now. Memes were not a thing when I first became <coughs> Orthodox. I don't think they even existed. Period. But uh, you can always find great quotes. You know, I love it What's that? it was an old one when memes were first coming around where it had like uh, Don't believe everything you read on the internet signed Abraham Lincoln <laughs> I, I hate to say this so people like you these quotes uh, There's a famous one that's attributed to Chrysostom that actually makes him sound um, Like he would have voted for um, Ron Paul the last go-around uh, because it's very specific in ways. that was just like, that does not sound like a fourth century. <laughs> like the concerns that he has, and lo and behold, nobody can find it I- anywhere in the corpus of Chrysostom, beside one book where there's a translation and it doesn't have a source for it. So it says
0: it's a translation of Chrysostom, but nobody really knows where it is. Yeah. So don't don't be too hard on theologians while you're doing. It <laughs> 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 well, this
1: is just so it's just one of those things of. Especially people can make huge arguments or the crux of their case on a quote that they don't know any of the context about. So that's also if you are trying to you know, sustain like the tradition says such and such. Make sure that you have a decent understanding of the tradition. Uh, all the basic things that we teach and like assume and find. But when you start getting to the fine details, uh, just be careful. Anyways... That I have little soapboxes. That's one of them. <laughs> Are there any other sections, uh, like Frank had here, of um, sections that caused a question mark, or concern, or conflict, or, or in a positive light, something that you found interesting, or convicting, or... I love reading the introduction to Paulian epistles because he, like most, of the structure of the Pauline epistles starts off very much like the church. It's almost like you could say, like ch- the church and the mind of God from the <laughs> from all eternity that God has poured out His own blood for, like all of these, like. Beautiful language, and by the end of it, he's like, Will you please just listen to your boss? <laughs> 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 Would you, like, uh, love, you know, husband, love your wife? Like, it
4: down to the practical.
1: yeah, he, he starts off, and you're like in the heavens, and you kind of like all oh, of this any theology. And at the end, he's just like, So, all of that means like, you really need to just kind of, like, I don't know, pick up your room and. <laughs> Do all the basic things you need to, you know, live a life in Christ. you know,
2: here's a compliment, here's like a a critique, here's a compliment.
1: (laughs) I like that. I've never thought about that. I'm going to butter him up by saying, like, uh, you are the majesty of the most high father, um, the church which is beloved, enlightened by the will of him that wills all things which are according to the love of Jesus Christ our God. This is just in the greeting of the epistle. I do, you know. Joke's kind of aside. It is all of the worthiness here of the greeting. I would like us to just take a look at. The Church in Rome is worthy of God, worthy of honor, worthy of the highest happiness, worthy of praise. I would like to know what some of the other translations say on these worthies, or if they even say worthy. I would be worthy of obtaining her every desire, worthy of being deemed holy in which presides over love, is named from Christ and from the Father, which I also salute in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. What is the uh, other translation Zach, what does your translation this say? This one,
2: um, where do you want me to start? Just read the reading. Does it say um, worthy of God? It says, worthy of God, worthy of honor, blessing, praise, and success, worthy to in holiness, foremost in love, observing the law of Christ and bearing the Father's name. Foremost in love? Foremost in love. Okay.
0: <coughs> is yours basically the same? Mine says, uh, well, it has preeminent in love. Worthy success, worthy sanctification, and preeminent in love. Named after Christ, named after the Father. So it's.
1: Um, I mean, what do you think about. I think it's something that Father Stephen has said at one point. We have a tendency to start with. I'm not worthy, which is true. But then at the same time, you have here Ignatius, in the same way that Paul, right? Like, Paul has no, you know, he might call out, like, okay, there's a guy who's with uh, his uh, mother-in-law now. (laughs) Like, you guys need to get your stuff together, Corinth. Like, there's some real serious issues going on, on here. But he'll still call them the body of Christ. He'll still call them, you know, that they're called to this high calling. Uh, Ignatius has the same. They're worthy of God, worthy of honor, worthy of highest happiness. I think I liked your guys' translation better than highest happiness. Um, Worthy of praise. What do you all think of this idea of a church being worthy?
2: What does he mean by that? Because it is the body of Christ. I mean, uh, because in that they partake of Christ, Christ's body, they're were this is the same pattern that follows in the uh, Revelation letters to the letters to the yes. churches. you Could
1: Expand that a little bit more. Uh, well, I know what you're saying. Jesus is awesome.
2: writing, he's dictating the letters to the churches, and yeah. always he starts with sort of a praise. Yeah. and says, hey, you're great. And then he says, but I, nevertheless, I have this against you. Right. And he you're continues lukewarm. with... <laughs> and for, the, for most of them, anyway. Yeah. You know, either you're lukewarm or you're allowing this Jezebel's spirit or actual person or whatever to... Seduce people yeah. in the church, you know, different yeah. things that are um, making them imperfect in the world. Yet, yeah, I guess those—it's kind of like that the election and all that stuff. Like they're as he, in the doctrine, he's, he's like speaking. The of
1: election, or
2: well, just like the, they're predestined to be conformed to the image and yes, glory of, right. of God. So he's speaking to them in their complete form in the timeless world. For like he's he's speaking to them from from their. From God, and then going in into the the details and saying, "Well, here's what I've called you to be. and I'm speaking to you as this, but then here's where you're
0: not there yet." Right. I was, I was when I was reading of this, you know, the almost like you know the 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 closing, the closing uh, part of Revelation, where they're saying, "Worthy to the land, worthy the lamb was was slain." It's, it's almost like he's, like he's um, imparting that kind of, Well, glory of, analogous to that. Yeah. Here, it, well, it, it had kind of the same feel as that.
1: When I think of the, um, the glory and the worthiness is obviously all bound up from the very beginning, right? He doesn't immediately start talking about them, he starts talking about the mercy that they obtained through the majesty of the Most High Father through Christ, uh, his only begotten son, the church which was beloved and enlightened by him, and then that uh, is uh, why uh, they are worthy of God, worthy of honor. Um, But I think this is always kind of that question of, uh, and why the, I want to say the focus in Orthodox Church, but the idea that I think is reflected in the book of Revelation is, they're made worthy because God has made them worthy, but it's also because they've, uh, stepped
2: up to the plate to actually do the things that God he has who called them to do. overcomes. I'll give this. I'll give the crown. Right. I'll show you his name, your name, written on a stone, etc. So, and yes. of the bride of Christ, too. At yes. the end, because I think,
1: and that's exactly why at the end of this this, mm-hmm. this uh, greeting, he says to those who are united, both according to the flesh and the spirit, to every one of his commandments, who are filled inseparably from the grace of God and are purified from every strange taint. I wish abundance of happiness unblamably in Jesus Christ our God. Again, we have this theme that runs through all of the letters uh, of Ignatius of the flesh and the spirit being united and uh, that specific unity of the flesh and the spirit is about the obedience to his commandments. Another aspect of the chapters here what's your question any other aspects of the chapter
0: <laughs> one thing that jumped out to me was how, how eucharistic one portion of this of this is like go ahead Frank move this far ahead or not but in, uh, this is uh, the second half of the uh, of chapter seven. Uh, I, I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, who was the seed of David, and the drink I desire his blood, which is imperishable love.
1: So it's, what's fascinating about this, I missed the beginning of what you said, Frank, so
0: The fact that it's so Eucharistic in the the Eucharistic language, yes.
1: So what's fascinating is the Eucharistic language um, that he's using here uh, is he talking about the Eucharist? He's talking about his death.
0: Mm. I desire the bread of God. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and and we drink of His blood, which is imperishable love. Mm-hmm.
1: So the reason why I ask is because if you go up to chapter six, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other, but I'm going to play the devil's advocate or maybe argue myself to another position here. <laughs> uh, chapter six um where he's telling them please like let me die on behalf of jesus christ then to reign over all the ends of the earth it's better for him to die and then the kind of language again of paul what shall man uh well this is jesus man prophet gain the whole world and lose his own soul uh the same language that paul uses in um i believe it's philippians where it would be better for him uh, that struggle that he has better for him to die or to stay right um Allow me to obtain, there towards the end, allow me to obtain pure light. When I have gone there, I shall indeed be a man of God. Again, the language of, I will finally become a Christian at my martyrdom. Permit me to be an imitator of the passion of my God. If anyone has him within himself, let him consider what I desire. Let him have sympathy with me as knowing how I am straitened. The prince of this world would fain carry me away. Now in chapter 7. And corrupt my disposition towards God. Let none of you, therefore, who are in Rome, help him. Rather, be on my side, that is, on the side of God. Do not speak of Jesus Christ, and yet set your desires on the world. Let not envy find a dwelling place among you, nor even should I, when present with you, exhort you to it. Be persuaded to listen to me. But rather give credit to those things which I now write to you. For though I am alive, while I write to you, I am eager to die. My love... Has been crucified. I believe in the Greek it's my Eros, has been crucified. This is my desire. My desire. And there is no fire in me desiring to be fed. But there is within me a water that lives and speaks and saying to me inwardly, Come to the Father. I have no delight in the corruptible food, nor in the pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, the heavenly bread, the bread of life, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came afterwards. Of the seed of David and Abraham, and I desire the drink of God, namely his blood, which is incorruptible love and eternal life. The reason why I ask if he's specifically talking, I think it's all Eucharistic language here, but I'm not entirely certain that he's talking about the Eucharist. The reason is because I think that permit me to be an imitator of the passion of my God is that he desires to become, like he said earlier in the chapter, the bread of life himself that will be ground up, that I think he wishes to imitate the martyrdom, the passion of Christ, such that he will gain the bread of God, the flesh of Christ, and the and his blood. Uh, I could be argued the other direction.
3: Did, didn't, in the paragraph you quoted, didn't he talk about how he's not saying his mind carnal things, he doesn't... Want perishable food. He's contrasting that with imperishable food. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so if he's contrasting perishable with imperishable food, it seems like that's something you would eat, right? I mean, uh, I mean, it does. But all of these metaphors.
1: Well, so does he have water living within him? I mean, I think I think that what he's talking about, the, even Christ, the way he talks about in John six, there's elements there. You can say it's eucharistic language, uh, but it's also language
2: of doing the will of God. Is doing is the bread. Uh, the meat of God. It seems that he's reenacting in, it, or desiring to reenact the whole sequence of the Passion through the Last Supper. The reason the Eucharistic language is there is because he's speaking he's, he's incorporating the Last Supper, he's incorporating uh, Jesus telling Peter, get behind me, don't try to save me, That's get behind me Satan I'm going to the cross. Yes. And he's going through the whole ordeal in the same pattern as the, uh, as the Passion of Christ. Mm-hmm. Again, I
1: don't, I don't... I'm not certain if it is or isn't, but I just... I think it's a possibility that he's talking about his martyrdom there more so than... Because there's nowhere in here that he's talking about the Eucharist uh, in the way that he does in the other letters. Where he's very clear, it's the medicine of immortality and those kind of things. This, this language is a little different,
3: but well, I mean, like, be. It, it seems like he's kind of like thinking of himself as, I mean, as right. the Eucharist, because the idea is—that's what I'm saying. You, yeah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Because you you eat Christ, but he's going to get eaten by you know animals. So.
1: I am the wheat of God. And let me be ground by the teeth of the wild beasts, that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. And I think that he wants, he desires the bread of God and the flesh and the drink and his blood because he wants to be an imitator of the passion. Uh, He wants to actually, that's why his Eros has been crucified. Because I I think it's funny, this whole time he's talking about his martyrdom and then he's going to shift to a Eucharistic, like, what I really desired is the Eucharist? Like, wait a second, (laughs) he hasn't been talking about the Eucharist, why is he now?
0: And that's perfectly consistent with what he does earlier where he's like talking about being poured out on the altar, Yes. Like, like a dream call for him, that, that he, he's, he's uh, becoming an imitator of the passion of Christ. So, yeah, that that's a...
1: I think that's that's also
0: why, uh, in the liturgy, we say the Holy Spirit come
1: upon us and upon these gifts you're offered. That the sacrifice of the Eucharist, obviously, is Christ's sacrifice, but we are also involved in the offering. Uh, our, I mean, the way Hopko would talk about it is that we need to be sacrificing the altar in the same way, we to be imitators of him, uh, to be, have our blood shed for the world through prayer, through, you know, actual attachment to God is part of the act of the Eucharist. Is,
0: is there, is there any of that also in the line of, by an own, we offer to be on behalf of all and for all? Or so
1: all, all of that language, it's even in the language of um, that you are the offerer and the offered uh, that's in the prayer of the true hymn that the priest says silently, um, is that Christ is the high priest, right? It is his body and blood. We, though I think Ignatius gives us a light into what is it, the church is also talking about, um, that why would the Holy Spirit need to fall upon us and upon the gifts, the, the whole movement is a movement uh, into his kingdom uh, where we are fed with his body and blood but we too need to be imitators of exactly that same sacrifice. And the more that we are deeply into that imitation, do we receive uh, the medicine of immortality. So what I mean in the sense of uh, the sacrament of the medicine of immortality is not just something like a token almost like magic right like I'm like out here doing whatever I want maybe I'll go get confession get some absolution and basically like I'm contrite and then I'm going to go to the liturgy and I'm going to receive the communion and like that I've received the medicine of immortality like that in a way is not discerning the gifts on the altar as well because to live in that that kind of like um, I don't want to say lackadaisical but like uh, how should I say, frivolous way of doing it is also a way of not discerning.
2: It's turning it into magic. It is. I think it it's is. turning it into
1: magic, yeah. It, we are supposed to be involved in uh, the entire action of... Our own lives are supposed to be in complete imitation of him. I think that's why, why martyrdom in the early church was the ultimate thing that they are for early christian early christians right like to be martyred is to be the ultimate uh, copy or replica of our lord
4: uh, along those lines father dan and maybe you guys already discussed this in chapter two it's it seems a lot like what you were saying today in your home with the, um, keep silent and it's like jesus saying don't tell anyone mm-hmm. of the miracles and Paul here is also saying keep silent about me as well because he'll have a better effect than if you blab about him all over the place <laughs> it just becomes a voice
1: There's, you see this here in chapter 2 of Ignatius chapter 2 for neither, the like, second sentence there not, for neither shall I ever have such opportunity of to God nor will you, if you shall now be silent even be entitled to the honor of a better work for if you are silent concerning me, I shall become God's but if you show your love to my flesh, I shall again have to run my race.
4: So my wording is totally different.
1: Share, sure, sure. So this one
4: says, um, for I shall never have such an opportunity for attaining to God, nor do you, if you keep silent, have any better deed for which to be credited. For if you are silent about me, I am a word of God. But if you love my flesh, I shall again be only a voice.
1: Yes, I like that translation better. I will be a word of God. And the silence, this goes back to the themes that we read in earlier epistles uh, where he has this constant theme of silence. Um, And I think here, there's kind of a practical edge to the silence, right? He basically says, don't cause trouble with those who are going to kill me in Rome. Don't try to save me. (laughs) Don't, you know, get some lawyers and (laughs) come together and like, you know, make a, a just let me die. Uh, otherwise, you're going to interrupt my race towards martyrdom.
2: He could also be saying that because he knows if they come out in force trying to do anything about it, they'll all be wiped out. There's that too. The Rome knows what to do with people that are causing trouble. Yeah. So if
4: he's not martyred, he's just he just keeps being a voice, but he's, he has more power as a he, martyr. He
1: doesn't have a his, his. He will become a word in the same way that uh, when Christ. Ascends, he becomes a word to all nations. He, he becomes accessible to everyone. I right? Because that enigmatic uh, quote, was it last? I think it was last, the Matins reading from last Saturday, where it has uh, Mary, was it Martha? I can't remember, uh, grabbing onto him and he says, Let go of me. I have a place to go. I think this is the logic is that I have to ascend on high so the Holy Spirit can then make me accessible to everyone. Because otherwise I'm in a localized body that you only, like, so many, like, right? Like, only so many people could be around one body. <laughs> so I think the Ignatius is playing off of that same kind of, like, I will have, I will become a word of God and faithfulness to him uh, through this martyrdom in a way that, like, I could not have had otherwise.
4: Okay, that makes sense.
1: Again, we have uh, he loves these uh, musical uh, metaphors being gathered together. Well, again, he says, "Pray then." Still in chapter two, pray then. Do not seek to confer any greater favor upon me than that I be sacrificed to God while the altar is still prepared. So he's going to be the sacrifice on the altar. That being gathered together in love, you may sing praise to the Father through Christ Jesus. That God has deemed me the bishop of Syria, worthy to be sent from the east unto the west. It is good to be set from the world unto God that I may rise again to him. Why does he mention this thing about the east to
2: the west? The sunrise and sunset. This one says how good it is to be sinking down below the world's horizon toward God, to rise again later into the dawn of his presence. That's a better translation. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely more lyrical. Was Paul the
4: Bishop of Syria? I didn't know. That.
1: This is Ignatius.
4: Oh, sorry, Ignatius, okay.
1: I like to talk about Paul a lot because Ignatius draws a lot from Paul. I think Ignatius draws, like, a, the easy um, parallels are with Paul, but there's also a lot of parallels in Ignatius to John. Can you think of any Johannine like, themes or theology that Ignatius might be working off of here? I don't have anything that immediately comes to mind, but I know.
2: Well, he's saying a word of God
1: you could say the, 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 I think the si- I think the silence theme is something that you can gather from because in John the world seems to be kind of chaotic and dispersed while everything around the word is like solid and real, and like there 's always like nighttime is really strong throughout the gospel of john um, there 's a lot of things that John is doing with the world. Um, I believe it's also in the Gospel of John the healing where uh, seeing the trees. Or not being able to see. I believe that's in the Gospel of John.
2: Where so he remakes the eyes mm-hmm. and then first he sees men like trees yes. and then he washes them again and then he can see mm-hmm. clearly.
0: Well also the the uh, well, the Eucharistic language there where he's where uh, the the Eucharist is I guess I'm to term is uh is like off-center. He's he's Referring he's, to it, but yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's, he's drawing uh, our attention to it um, in an indirect way, like like uh, we find in the Gospel of John. Uh, I mean, the word the words of institution aren't there, but we do have um, the meaning behind it, which is set forth, except the eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. Mm-hmm. But we also have the feeding of the five thousand, um, and and other things that are that are profoundly eucharistic. Mm-hmm. But, but not but not the Last Supper, mm-hmm. it's not there. And here likewise, we're, we're being given more about it, more of the meaning, more of how it, how it plays. It looks like you're saying, uh, it's not just some some um, um, A to B to C steps you follow, but this is what it means. This is why, not it's just like how, the, Jesus why, yeah, exactly. Know. That makes sense. Yeah, I get what you're saying.
1: any other aspects here of this epistle?
2: It's interesting to start out with all the le- worthiness mm-hmm. language and then come to the end where he describes, he says, uh, Remember, this where, is chapter where, 9. Thank you. Remember the church of Syria in your prayers. It has God for its pastor now in place of myself, and Jesus Christ alone will have the oversight of it, he and your own love. As for me, I feel shame to be styled one of its members. I have no right at all to the name, for I was the very last of them all, an embryo born untimely, though if I ever manage to reach the presence of God by his mercy, I shall be somebody then. And this one actually calls it, uh, uses the term abortion. Really? The same language Paul uses yeah. ah, yes. yes.
0: Um, born out of one due born time. out of due time. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was it? Is this chapter what you mean? Time, time. time. chapter. <clears throat> yeah, there it is. Um, I am ashamed to be called one of them, for I am not worthy, since I am the least of them and an abortion. But I have obtained mercy to be someone, if I may attain to God. That's got to have a bigger meaning than what we typically think of abortion today. Well, it, it has a reference to, to uh, uh, the first letter to the Corinthians, uh, um, chapter, chapter 15. through yeah, Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. I have it in the text. I don't have that up. memorized off the top of my Well, I had it there too. so yeah.
0: I was thinking hey, you're good. But, you know, <laughs> shouldn't have shown your hand there, stud. <laughs>
1: Any other aspects here? you're going to have very early on in the tradition is uh, a respect for the Roman Church and that you'll see in the Clementine letters uh, when Clement is riding from Rome to uh, Corinth and um, Saint Ignatius there's and even later in the tradition there's always a respect for Rome because it
0: was established by yeah, Paul. Yeah. Going back to what Mary was saying here, it's just like I've kind of going through my, my notes when we right over the magnesians like he he was talking for and a lot of his letter then was how to fix all the various problems, all the things going on there. Respect your bishop, do this, do that, you know, and um, the you know problem with the Judaizers, where here when he's talking to the Romans, he That's he he begins to talk about, well, your worthiness, your worthiness. And please don't try to stop them from killing me because it, it's I want to imitate Christ in his passion and um, and and so it's and he, he takes a very different tone with, with the Romans here right.
2: this is a funny line in chapter five all the same I've already been finding myself in contact con flicked with beasts of prey by land and by sea, by night and by day, the whole way from Syria to Rome, chained as I am to half a score of savage leopards, in other words, a detachment of soldiers, who only grow more insolent the more gratuities they are given. This gives you a little picture of what's going on there, yeah. having to constantly be paying these guys off to what... Is that, is that what it's talking about? I don't know about paying them off, it's just that he's big under escort by Roman soldiers.
1: That it looks yeah. like, even as they go along, still there, when they even get good things, they still so
2: complain, it seems. I look forward to the real lions that have been got ready for me.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <coughs> right, we can maybe end here at the end, with the end of chapter 5. Now I begin to be a disciple, and let no one of the things visible or invisible envy me that I should attain to Jesus Christ. Let fire and the cross, let the crowds of wild beasts, let tearings, breakings, and dislocations of bones, let cutting off of members, let shatterings of the whole body, and let all the dreadful torments of the devil come upon me. Only let me attain to Jesus Christ. What does that sound like an echo of in Paul? Not maybe two different places actually in Paul that I might oh, see. Second
3: Corinthians eleven. Yeah, what are Romans eight being? Romans the, 8, he catalogs all the different things that can't separate us from the love of God in Christ, and then Second Corinthians eleven. He catalogs all the times he suffered for the sake of Christ. Exactly.
1: Those are the two spots I'm thinking of, where Ignatius is, desiring here to become fully a disciple through his martyrdom, uh, and that means. Uh, that faith in God brings him not to, um, how shall I say, put the flesh above the spirit, but actually follow through. Um, that even death is not something that's going to um, block his access to God, but actually be his pathway to God. Well, uh, the, the later church, um, when modern does not is not really a reality. Uh, in the sense that uh, if you're in the Roman Empire after a certain point you're not getting martyred because you're Christian because everyone was officially Christian, basically, uh, roughly. So this is also the development of um, what you might call um, the martyrdom of the ascetical life where this is part of the reason why you had um, men and women going off into the desert and fighting... uh, submitting their flesh, buffing their body like Paul talks about in the epistles uh, to be able to live in the spirit and not just in the flesh, uh, but to kind of transpose or transfigure uh, their life uh, by following Jesus Christ so next week um, what is the reading that we have? let's see, I think it's the Philadelphians it's the Philadelphians? Yes. excellent